We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Chris Biederman. Kyle Madsen is off today, but we have a very special guest. Uh, you might remember her from her days working with the San Jose Mercury News and the Bay Area News Group. It's Courtney Cronin, currently the ESPN NFL Nation Bears beat reporter. Obviously, we're having her on to break down the Bears ahead of Sunday's season opener, which the 49ers travel to Chicago. So Courtney had a ton of great stuff to say, a lot of interesting insight. Uh, so let's get to it. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. Bosa's got him and a second back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. All right, Courtney Cronin, ESPN NFL Nation Bears reporter, is with us, formerly of the Bay Area News Group. She's very familiar with the 49ers. Um, also getting a lot of burn on some pretty substantial sports television shows at ESPN. Um, a lot of first take and around the horn. Yeah, around the horn. <laughs> um, I get mixed up with pardon the interruption, but really cool. Thanks for, uh, th- thanks for coming on. And um, I wanted I wanted to ask you too about the Brian Windhorst thing because you were there at first <laughs> take when uh, when the the discussion about the Hugh Dodd Chaz thing happened and he became like a meme god. I, I'm just curious, like, what was it like for everybody on the panel as that was happening? I didn't know what was going on at the time. Like, I legitimately was trying to figure out, okay, what was he? getting at because I couldn't remember like and I have my computer out in front of me I knew that there was a trade that happened the day before like I knew it was Royce O'Neal who he was referring to for the first one he said the trade that like everybody like slipped under like under the radar I'm like no 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 I I remember that trade going through because I was up all night preparing but I couldn't remember I was like Royce 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 I couldn't remember what his last name was so I wanted to try to like sneak and like google it really quick but (laughs) The camera kept cutting out of the pa- like looking out of the corner of my eye. The camera kept panning, you know, back and forth to the group when he was like leading us on with such suspense to him. And I was like, oh, no, like, don't do it. So when he's leading us down this path, well, what are they doing? Like, you know, you're trying to think I'm like and I say it made the comment of 
I don't know, like clearing that room for Kevin Durant. Like that was like a, a legitimate thought I had at that time. I'm like, I don't know where we're going with this. So <laughs> it was such a trip because I was on radio at the seaport a few hours later after the Gobert trade happened. It's just like, Wendy knew, Wendy knew the entire time. <laughs> And of course he couldn't say anything in that moment. And I think he's gone on different podcasts and explained that, but that was two and a half minutes of theatrical sports television, which he was just like running circles around all of us on set and me and Freddie Coleman and Christine Williamson are just like hanging on every single word. <laughs> it was such a trip. Uh, it was it really was, fun. It was like, both to- amazing yeah. television and, and super awkward. I didn't know whether to be Incredibly. happy for you that, that I didn't know whether to be happy for you that you were there for that moment or feel bad for you because it's like I I have no idea how I would react. I would just sit there kind of in stunned silence. I, I felt like I was and I was trying to like, you know, play along and follow along to be like, all right, like, you know, you're telling us this story. I'm not just going to like check out for the next couple of minutes until you complete it. But <laughs> I really had no idea where he was going with that. And it was just cool to be be part of first take at that time during the summer because there was so much going on like the mm-hmm. first week I was there it was the first day Kyrie Irving you know opts into his 36 and a half million dollar player option and then hours later it's like Durant wants out and then you know then a, like a couple of days later it's this thing that happens with Rudy Gobert at the start of free agency getting traded from Utah to Minnesota it was just, there's just so much going on and I know that we think that the NFL offseason, which is obviously like our wheelhouse, is no has no shortage of drama. I don't know. The NBA seems to take the cake and and make it more compelling year after year after year. And I think so much of it is just like personality driven. Mm-hmm. Whereas like this year, there were so many players in the NFL that forced their way out via trades. And we we had never seen it to like that degree before, whether it was, you know, the wide receivers who, you know, Devontae Adams gets franchised and then he gets traded and, and Tyree Kill forces his way out via trade from Kansas City to Miami. Like the NBA's free agency trumped all of that just with the matter of a couple weeks. And, you know, we were on Durant watch after he made that declaration via his agent that he was going to go somewhere else. And like literally every day we're like, where's he going? And it was just, <laughs> it was, it was dramatic uh, yeah. to say the least that it kept us busy this off season. Well, so you cover the Chicago bears for ESPN. That's, that's your main gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm glad you mentioned kind of a dramatic situation because I look at, you know, I, I look at the Chicago bears and, and the way things are going with Justin Fields and the fact you bring in, um, a new GM and head coach and Ryan Poles and, and Matt Eberflus. And they're sort of inheriting Justin Fields. And you look at all the moves they made this offseason. One line of thinking is, well, they're not really doing a whole lot to put talent around Justin Fields and put him in a, in a position to succeed. Or the other line of thinking is, well, this is a clearly a rebuilding scenario. They believe in Justin Fields and he's going to be the quarterback of the future. They're just going to take a little bit of time to to build that roster around him. Are, are you, do you think that they are going to move forward with Justin Fields beyond this season, sort of no matter how it shakes out? Or do you think Justin Fields is kind of on notice because the guys in charge aren't the ones who drafted him? There's, there's reasonable thought for both of those arguments. Like I've had both thoughts throughout the last seven months of myself being on this beat. And I will go with, I don't know whether it was the latter or the former. I, I think this is an evaluation period for them 
they have to see what they have in Justin Fields in year two and know it are like prove to us you are the guy to build around. Now it's not to say that if this year is rough as is what's expected from you know everybody outside of Hallis Hall that they're just going to give up on him and draft a quarterback next year because the class is so good. Like I highly doubt that that's their line of thinking. Every time we've talked to Ryan Poles about this, he's deferred to his strategy in trying to build this thing, A, through the draft with homegrown talent and going about this in a deliberate process. He had to build an entire roster. Like he constantly will defer to, you know, you don't just have one job in building around the quarterback. He had, they got rid of 20 plus free agents from the last group or 20 plus players in free agency from the last group and brought in a whole host of players. They had 11 draft picks. You know, and they didn't make a, a ton of noise in free agency with like any sort of big splash signings. A lot of veterans who are here on, on you know, short term vet minimum deals here to prove themselves, but also here to help them field a team this year. Like they're trying to be very calculated and very deliberate in the way that they're building this thing. So no sort of knee jerk reaction moves. Uh, I don't think you can like point to any of them. And I remember asking Ryan Poles during the draft about, yeah, like you see a lot of the wide receiver movement in free agency. Like, does that tempt you at all? And this is a couple of days before they had only used one draft pick on a receiver, Valus Jones, in the third round. And he said, like, well, you know, of course you're looking around at that. And but he he, you know, to his credit, he stayed firm on what he wanted to do. And I just don't think it would be a fair assessment for any regime to come in after a quarterback has been here for one year and wasn't even the starter the entire year and already have like a preconceived notion of who this guy is and who he's not and say like, okay, well, we're going to eventually move on to our guy. We didn't draft him all, all of that. I think that there's examples of that already on the roster, like how they have Tevin Jenkins right now as they're start like in line to be their starting right guard. They didn't give up on a second year player after it didn't work out with him at the left tackle spot, but they found some, like that's a happy accident in a lot of ways because to the contrary of what the bears have been saying about like, we're not, we have not tried to trade him. You know, that doesn't mean other teams haven't reached out offering draft capital for, for Tevin Jenkins. And so, you know, it worked out in a way for this team where they got a second chance on a player that wasn't their pick initially, but it looks like it's going to work out for them at least, you know, a marriage of convenience for now. So for Justin Fields and this team, right now is only the beginning. Like this is his true evaluation, you know, beginning of his evaluation process, which I think is going to be ongoing because they need to figure out how can he grow within the confines of this offense? How can this offense bring out the best in his skill set to know where they need to build the most next year, the year beyond that? Like this is not just like a one year tear it to the ground. And then next year they're going to be the Cincinnati Bengals. I think that's kind of a far-fetched way to look at it because they still will have so many talent deficiencies that they need to fill. How do you feel like Justin Fields is handling that situation? Because he's a guy that, you know, played at Georgia, um, obviously a, a good program loaded with talent and then ended up transferring to Ohio state, um, went to the college football playoff, had an epic game in, in that game against Clemson. Obviously mm-hmm. that team was loaded also with a number of first round receivers that are in the NFL now um is he embracing the whole like yeah I'm willing to stick out this process or do you sense a little bit of impatience on his part just because of what he's been used to in terms of being surrounded with talent you can really sense and having been around him now for you know half a year 
that the competitor stuff that everybody tells you about Justin Fields, it's not just lip service. Like this guy really wants to win. And when I sat down with him ahead of the Seattle preseason game, we just talked about the fact that this is relatively new territory for him. He's never been on a team that had lost this much in a single season dating, you know, going back to his rookie year. And I feel like at this point, I mean, things can change during the season. Like right now it's, Hey, everybody's against you. Take the underdog mentality into the season. You know, he told me he likes the label that they have on this team, that this team did not surround him with enough playmakers because he feels that there are guys in this offense that are going to surprise people. You can say all of that right now at the beginning of September, when you haven't played a game yet, how is that? Are you going to be singing the same tune if you're getting sacked at the same rate that you did last year, if Darnell Mooney is still your only proven guy, nobody else emerges as like a, you know, a true target for you in the passing game with the wide receiver group, or at least a consistent one. Um, are you going to be saying the same thing about it then? Or do we start to see the wheels come off? Because this is somebody who, again, he has not been in this situation where losing is the norm. And I I can really appreciate that part of him because it's not this blase nature of you know like you know giving you lip service and all this stuff like you can tell when he's not in a good mood um you can tell from the body language perspective and I think he's gotten better at that but even out in a training camp like you could tell like if he knew that a play didn't go the right way like he might you know kind of I don't know how to describe it because we're not on video but like kind of like oh man like just kind of like shrug a little bit but like he'll get right back to it because like they're big here on correcting mistakes as they go but that's a huge part of the philosophy Matt Eberflus is trying to instill. And I remember one day it was might've been last week. It was the end of August is before cut down day. They had a practice that was on a Tuesday that was simulating their in season Wednesday. And I remember his most physical practice I'd ever seen is reason. One of the reasons that like we are not allowed to see these things anymore because <laughs> it's regular season. And the offense had a series where he threw a pick six. Um, I think there was a ball batted down at the line of scrimmage. And then he went, he threw an incomplete pass, like in succession, right then and there, they started doing sprints back and forth, sideline to sideline, like at the end of August, the like training camp's over. This is the preseason. And so it shows you the culture that, that they're trying to build here is one of accountability and one where they're all growing at the same time. And you don't have these sky high expectations that are unattainable and unrealistic. Justin Fields wants to get better, but he also has to maintain the balance of being patient and learning a new scheme. Like that's his, that's honestly got to be his biggest challenge this year because things aren't going to be perfect when you're going at game speed and, you know, seeing what a team, you know, an opponent has to offer you. So that'll, I know it's a long winded way of kind of talking about him, but that's some of, those are some of the bigger things that I've noticed from him in the preseason. So looking at Sunday's game, obviously, I think the biggest mismatch is probably the Bears offensive line and the Niners defensive line. Um, what's what do you think their level of concern is about their offensive line? And, and what are your expectations for the offensive line for, for Sunday and I guess for for the regular season as a whole? Yeah, I mean, even today, Fields was asked about as a leader, because he just got voted on as a team captain, which is a big deal to him because these are season, there's four season long captains, one honorary captain every week and fields. This is all voted on from teammates. You know, he's a leader of this team. He's a captain. And 
he was asked about, well, how do you, as a captain, you know, keep a guy like Braxton Jones, who's a fifth round rookie from an FCS school, who's going to be starting at left tackle for you. How do you keep him up if he doesn't win, you know, a rep or two against, against Bosa. And it's like, and he kind of paused. He's like, I hope you guys don't think that he's like expected or we're expecting him to win every single rep, uh, 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 you know, <laughs> against Nick Bosa. Like, let's, let's be realistic. We are kind of laughing about it. Like, of course, nobody expects that, but you know, there is there like there there's something to be said about the fact that Braxton Jones came in here during rookie mini camp. And then when the team gets back together for OTAs, the full squad comes together and he quickly rose through the ranks to become the left tackle and never gave that job back. Like the kid can play. He's a mammoth of an individual. And I think just like learning how to play the left tackle position against these guys that's that's going to be a growing a, it's a learning process for him. He's going to have to grow through it this year. But there were some moments of confidence for him when he gets invited to the Senior Bowl and he's going up against defensive linemen from SEC programs from other Power Five schools and realizing I can hold my own. Like, and I think that's what really turned the Bears on to him, where it's not just somebody who's from a small school who has all the athletic traits and tools that make him successful, and you just got to like work it. Like this kid has confidence, and so they wouldn't have a rookie protecting the blind side of a vulnerable quarterback who had been sacked, you know, at the highest rate in the league last year, if they didn't trust him. Now, of course, there's going to be lumps that you have to take, but I think they're confident. Like, honestly, the left tackle spot was not nearly the question mark. I thought it was going to be, if you were to ask me at the, you know, end of June, even the bigger question marks are now, okay, Lucas Patrick's back. They're starting center. Is he going to play center? We didn't see I mean, he's got a cast on his right thumb right now. And he's kind of being coy about it when I was asking him, like, so like, how does the operation change when you're snapping the ball? Like with that, he's like, you know, it's yeah, like it's obviously a lot different, but and, and he's played with through a broken hand before with a club on his hand and with a broken hand, um, you know, two separate in- injuries in Green Bay, but he was playing guard. So I anticipate there could be quite a bit of shifting going on week one, because I just, I can't see how Lucas Patrick would be ready to play in snapping a ball. And Justin Fields, when I asked him on on Wednesday said that he, like, this was before practice. He said he hadn't taken any snaps from Lucas Patrick. And I just, there's so much move. There's so many moving parts that I think could help the offensive line, but I just worry about the first time you see this happening is week one. And it's not just Nick Bosa that they have to worry about. Like they've got a pretty good interior pass rush too. I mean, I remember Eric Armstead was with the 49ers when I was covering them back in 16 and, and, you know, Javon Kinlaw, but they've got a good group of pass rushers. So it'll be a test and that's probably going to be their most vulnerable spot. I don't anticipate that everything's going to be settled though. Come, you know, come week one, the group that we see out there might look very different in week two, depending really upon the health of Lucas Patrick and how, others along the offensive line that are newer um, with starting roles might look. So I want to go to the defensive side. Um, And obviously one of the most high profile stories dealing with the bears is the Roquan Smith situation. And the fact Mm -hmm. that he's going into a contract year without a new contract, they're tabling contract talks. Um, Obviously that's not a great development and it might signal some, you know, drama in the, in the coming off season, but how does that set the stage for what's going to happen on the field this season? Do you think it's going to be something that manifests in a negative way? Or do you think ultimately it's it's going to be a discussion maybe now before football games are being played and then something we forget about because, 
you know, it, it doesn't end up causing a, a riff or, or whatever other word you might use. It's, it's certainly still being talked about now. We talked to Roquan in the locker room after the 53 was set about being back because, you know, we hadn't really seen, he didn't play in any of the preseason games. He had tightness or something, so he couldn't play in the third preseason game. If I'm just being frank with you, I think that tightness and other things might actually prevent him from playing in other games throughout this year. You've got to protect yourself. A, you Mm -hmm. don't have representation. I don't know if that will change. B, if you're betting on yourself and you want to have a good year, you also want to like protect yourself health wise and not hurt yourself from potential earnings. So I did a story back in this right around the time that he declared that he wanted to be traded. And I talked to a handful of agents about like the advice that they'd give him. And some of that is, you know, do what you need to do for yourself. So if it is an injury, like, you know, keep yourself out for as long as you need to, obviously you need to play the minimum six games to accrue the season. Like, I think he's, and I say all this, these are all like, like things of just like, you know, checking the boxes of making sure he knows like what his options are, but, I don't get the sense from him right now, and this could just be him putting on a brave face. I don't get the sense from him or others that he's bad mouthing the club in the locker room or like super frustrated and letting that carry over onto the field. Like, take this for what it's worth. Like, he was voted a team captain, somebody who was in the middle of a contract dispute with the team who said that the negotiations were distasteful, his words. Um, he still got voted. a a team captain, one of four. And I think that that speaks volumes because that's voted on by the team. It's not Matt Eberflus throwing him a bone. That's voted on by his peers who every step of the way, when we asked them about Roquan's absence during training camp, they would all kind of acquiesce to, he needs to do what's right for him, like next man up mentality. But we, we support him. You know, he's kind of the heartbeat of that defense. So when Ryan Poles talked last week, he he made it seem like he was optimistic that eventually they can repair that. And I think it was he was he- smart to acknowledge, not just be like, oh, everything's great. Like, yeah, like we didn't get to a number, but he's back out there playing. Like, no, there are feelings hurt. There are emotions involved in this. This is, you know, someone's potential generational wealth. And of course, there's going to have to be some bridge mending eventually. But he seems to think that they'll get to that space. And I think Poles is... It's just, it's refreshing for me to see a general manager talk like this and be able to be very open while ongoing negotiations are, are happening because I've, I've never seen that happen before. I don't think many people have. He just seems to get it on a different level, which for Bears fans, I think is kind of refreshing because you get to have the curtain peeled back a bit um, into what's really going on. So I, you know, we can say all of this now though, like if they start losing a lot of games, what like what do guys fall back on? Does the hits principle that Matt Eberflus brought over from Indianapolis, which sta- which stands for hustle, intensity, toughness, and playing smart? Um, I know there's there's no P in there. It's not hit tippus, but like it's in some parentheses. <laughs> the the Niners of, have something similar. <laughs> I saw that the swarm thing that was yeah. like all of this college stuff. Like truly, it's what it is. Like college stuff. Because Matt Eberflus was a college coach at one time. I did ask him about this. He said it came from an idea. Like he was under Rod Marinelli in in Dallas and that's, he wanted, like he respects him so much as a coach that's kind of a mentor to him. He wanted to embody like his, you know, what he expects out of players and just the philosophy and an acronym, something that's easy to remember. So that's how hits came up. But, you know, 
guys will buy into that right now when everybody's moving in the same direction. We're amped up for the season, like, you know, us against the world mentality. Do you fall back on that when things aren't going right? Does Roquan Smith fall back on, I want to, you know, I, I love my teammates. I want to be here, like all that stuff. If things aren't going right on the field, that's the true test. We won't know that until we see the direction that the season's going. And I think, Honestly, with a team this young, you'll probably find out that pretty quick, considering what their schedule is. They open up against the 49ers at home. They go on the road to Green Bay following week on Sunday night football. Um, you know, and then they have, you know, a stretch that has Houston and the Giants. So maybe they're they have good mojo at that point. But then it's like, you know, it's it's Minnesota. There's New England in there. Like there's it's a tough stretch. So we'll we'll see what it all boils down to. But right now they're saying the right things about it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Something just popped into my, my head and I have to ask you about it. How much resentment does Justin Fields hold towards Kyle Shanahan and, and the 49ers for what happened um, leading up to the 2021 draft. He said today that he really doesn't think about it. I know Darnell Mooney, his teammate, made a comment two weeks ago that, you know, they passed over him, so they might have to pay a little bit. I think he was honestly just kind of talking in the motivational sense of, you know, just, you know, supporting his guy. I don't mm-hmm. think that Fields really harbors any sort of resentment because let's be frank here. Let's go. Let's not play revisionist history. Fields was not talked about ever going like as a top three quarterback, like not from my knowledge of that. Like, I don't know if, if you, because when, when they traded up, I was like, Oh, there it's absolutely Trey Lancer, Zach Wilson. Um, and so I just felt like it was kind of like almost like a foregone conclusion that the rest of the group, I mean, obviously Trevor Lawrence is going number one, I thought it was kind of a clear cut group that, you know, Lance or Wilson would be the second guy Mac, taken. Mac Jones was, yeah. And, yeah, he kept creeping in there. And I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I always felt like there was a bunch of smoke screens with that, but like personally, and I'm not speaking for Justin Fields. I don't, I never felt like it was a possibility that the 49ers were going to take him. Did you covering the team? So 
I think Justin Fields was a fan favorite um, as a prospect. And there was a lot had, of this. He had a tremendous uh, game against Clemson. Where yeah. He like gets he the shot to the ribs and throws for six touchdowns. Like he was a great story going into the draft. He was so athletic super, and super special. famous, right? Super famous, super athletic, made a lot of wow throws at his pro day. Um, there were a lot of like, you know, videos and pictures of Kyle Shanahan yucking mm-hmm. it up with Justin Fields at his pro day. And a, a lot of fans, we're we're talking about the possibility, but I never got I'm with you like I never got um, the feeling that the 49ers were serious about Justin Fields and taking him at number three. And Kyle Shanahan said it recently. I think it was on um, the Players Tribune podcast, the more than an athlete mm-hmm. when he said the two guys that when they made the trade to move up, the two guys that they were really comfortable with, because I think they assumed Zach Wilson was going second to the Jets. Sure. It was Trey Lance and Mac Jones. Um, so Justin Fields was never really part of that discussion. So I thought I thought that was really interesting. And and me myself, just just, you know, trying to figure out who they're going to take after they made that trade and watching Fields more closely. Like he just never seemed like a Kyle Shanahan quarterback to me. Like it was a lot of like Shanahan's very, very much about like West Coast offense, quick decisions. Um, and you could see it with Trey Lance because schematically what they did at North Dakota State was very pro style and West Coast. And I think Justin Fields held on to the ball a little bit too long. Um, I think his release took a while sometimes. I, I do think, you know, Trey Lance obviously has those issues also. Um, but yeah, it just, from my, everything that I gathered from people, that it never really seemed like Justin Fields was a serious candidate. So I do wonder, like, given all of that and Kyle Shannon going to the pro day and all of it and the, everything that was made of that visit on the internet, Mm-hmm. Like what kind of resentment Justin Fields would harbor towards towards the 49ers in that situation? Yeah, like when he like when we talked to him about it on Wednesday, he said, you know, the draft is the draft that was so long ago. And I I don't disagree with that because you know, this is a team that's built like the this San Francisco 49ers are built to win a Super Bowl. Right. figure it out whether it's going to be Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, taking over for Trey Lance or whether Trey Lance is going to do well enough to keep his job. Um, I think fields, I mean, it's just, it's polar opposite situations. Like where he is now in Chicago is at the very beginning of something that could go one way or the other, you know, Trey Lance has a mountain of expectations on him and it doesn't it's on the outside. It doesn't look great right now because it, it looks like, they don't believe in him because they ended up signing Garoppolo to a pretty big deal. And I had seen a report, you know, that he wasn't thrilled about the news of him being behind him. And I mean, I just, I wonder how that's going to make him play. Is that going to be too much pressure for a quarterback who has been given the reins of this offense, but even the general manager was couching it with, you know, they don't want to, was it blindly trust him with something like that? We're not just like blindly trusting the situation. It was, I thought John Lynch kind of, I, I saw, um, I saw the quotes on that like two weeks ago. I thought that was kind of a telling comment from him. Yeah. So I think, and we've talked about it obviously ad nauseum on, on this pod, but I, I think it was a situation where once they realized that Jimmy Garoppolo was willing to take the six and a half million dollar salary to basically be a backup, the Niners were like, sure. Like, mm-hmm. why not? And it was it, it was a pragmatic decision from the standpoint of, well, no matter who our starting quarterback is, it's good to have an insurance policy. Of course. And but they're not going it going into it completely blind because they know that Super Bowl windows don't stay open for very long. And Kyle Shanahan's 
basically had seasons lost in 2018 and 2020, largely because of quarterback injuries. And he views that this roster is good enough to win a Super Bowl right now that, you know, if Trey Lance were to say suffer a high ankle sprain like Jimmy Garoppolo did in 2020, that they would be able to survive, you know, four to six weeks and not have their their season completely derailed. So is it a hedge? Yeah. Is it a hedge against Trey Lance? Like, I don't know. There's risk in playing any quarterback in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it would make sense for the Chiefs to have a good backup for Patrick Mahomes. You know, it's sure. so I don't know. We'll we'll see how it shakes out. It's it. They I, I ultimately um, I, I think what it did was it made Kyle Shanahan's job a little bit more difficult, because if they do run into any stretch of the season where they're losing games and he has to he has to make that decision and deal with the locker room and all those things. So um, it'll be very interesting to see. So I guess circling back to the Bears. What are your expectations for the season? Is there any chance that they're more competitive than we all think? Or is this really one of the one of the worst rosters in the NFC? I don't think it's a great roster. And that's looking at it objectively, having seen what this receiver depth looks like during training camp. It's not great. And I know yeah, that they've Ta- been Dante hit. Pettis is there. <laughs> yeah, the Dante Pettis revenge game on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's the storyline that we should all be talking about. The 49ers are shaking in their boots about that. Um, I'm sure they are. Uh <laughs> yeah, it's just they you can make the argument that they didn't do enough to support him in terms of like finding him pass catchers, because really outside of Mooney and Cole Komet, the tight end, there's no proven guy. I mean, Valus Jones has been hurt and that's I think a really big deal for for this team because we don't know you know we don't know when he's going to play yet like Byron Pringle's coming off of a quad injury that kept him out all of camp Nikhil Harry's on IR Tajik Sharp went on IR at least Harry has the chance to return at some point because they they can designate him for return because they did it after the deadline but the group's thin and I can understand why when you look at this team especially on the offensive side of the ball there's you know, a lot left to be desired. So I can, there's, there's definitely like a discourse or or rather like a disconnect between the national perception of this team. And then I think locally, a lot of us see where things could break their way, but I don't, I I don't think it's the third, like 32 out of power rankings. I really don't like, Mm -hmm. are they a bottom five team? Probably. And that's okay because that's what you knew they would be coming in, taking over this job, but this is not like a quick fix where you patch a couple holes and you, you know, change every, you know, change some things, bring in some guys, get some, you know, veterans who, you know, sign here on inexpensive or, you know, minimum to like Mac, like middle of the pack contracts. Like, no, you, you don't have that here. So I don't think that they're going to be the level of like worst team in the NFL, three wins total, but I also, understand why the over under right now according to William Hill is is six like I think taking the over at seven is a generous thing to do for this team but they're fortunate because they play the NFC East this year it was a good year to draw that I mean I don't know a good year in terms of you know if you were really going to contend it'd be a good year but their schedule is favorable in where they've always got Detroit in the division but Detroit is a team that might be better than, I mean, we, we're all kind of hyped up on Dan Campbell and what this group is building. So maybe they're better this year. Um, you know, the NFC itself outside of the North it, is wide open, but I do, don't feel like 
they're going to be the sneak attack team that, you know, ends up in the seventh seat, you know, the seventh spot for the final wild card. I feel like they're still like I, when I projected out the division, I've done this several times. Like I still see, you know, potentially a Dallas team that I don't think is going to win the East. I think that's Phillies. Like, so where's Dallas going wild card spot? Where's San Francisco going? If the if you know, the Rams win the West wild card spot, where's Minnesota going to go probably a wild card spot. So it feels like there are definitely a few steps behind that. So I just, I, I think it's okay to have like lower expectations in the win column, but not see it as a lost season. If you can see tangible evidence, evidence, excuse me, that this team is actually getting better. So I think it's okay if they if they hit the under on it and it's it's really gravy at that point. If you're a seven and ten team a year after whacking this roster with a baseball bat and then like starting over, that's not a bad spot to be in. It shows you that something's working. So I think it sounds like we're in agreement that probably the 49ers are gonna roll on Sunday. Are you allowed to make predictions? Yeah, I, I picked them to I yeah, I did pick the Bears to lose today on on radio earlier. I didn't give okay. a score prediction, but I, I think that it's fair. I don't know if it'll be a blowout. I really don't think it will be that week ones Um, are always weird. The first month of the season is weird because like, it's honestly an extension of the preseason football Mm -hmm. sloppy. There's always some really wacky games, really high scoring games. Um, It doesn't make a whole ton of sense because like teams are trying to figure out each other and their own identities, especially teams that have brand new coaches. And it's for real now. It's not just like, okay, you won the preseason, which the bears did. They're three and on the preseason. What happens when it actually matters? What happens when you're seeing shifts in motion and all the stuff that Kyle Shanahan likes to throw into an offense to distract the defense as eye candy. Like he's going to dial it up because he can now mm-hmm. didn't during the preseason. So I think that that's part of it. And you know, what do the bears look like? Because they've been, relatively vanilla on offense. I know Darnell Mooney said we've run like three or four plays. I'm ready to show people what more we can do. I tend to think though, what the offense you saw in Cleveland, just with like the play actions, the screens, the run emphasis on the run game to set other things up. That's at least the foundation for what this offense is going to be. So that's a good spot for them to be in. I'm curious to see when, when they talk about, well, we have so much stuff underneath the, uh, you know, steel curtain, what more are they willing to, um, pull out of their bag right away in week one. Mm-hmm. All right. She's Courtney Cronin, ESPN's NFL nation bears reporter. Um, awesome stuff. Great to catch up with you and uh, good luck this season. And hopefully we'll, uh, we'll see you more on national TV and doing your sports center special stories and, and stuff like that. That's all really cool to see. So um, congrats on all that. And thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, just wanted to thank Courtney again for coming on and also remind you guys that our live event at Cooperage is coming up Friday, September 16th, Cooperage Brewing Company in Santa Rosa. Uh, There's going to be a live panel just as there was last year. We're hoping to get more people. Um, We're going to have a live panel again. It's going to be Matt Mayoko, Cam Inman, Damian Barling of of, uh, ESPN Radio in Sacramento, who's a great guide and awesome um, awesome radio guy talking 49ers um, and Tracy Sandler, of course, friend of the pod and hopefully some others. We're waiting to hear um, some confirmations on some other guests, but those are the people we have now. Um, the Candlestick Chronicles Hazy IPA, which was um, frankly really popular last year, a lot more popular than I was expecting it to be, is going to be dropping soon. So keep your eye out for that. Um, when it does drop, it will be available to be shipped anywhere within California 
um, on Cooperage's website. I believe it's cooperagebrewing.com. Um, if that's not it, you can Google it. Um, and also you'll be able to get it uh, at various stores where they distribute Cooperage beer. So we will let you know what those stores are. But Friday, September 16th, a few days ahead of the home opener, live event, another one. Um, it's going to be a ton of fun and we really appreciate the support. We're going to try to raise a little bit of money for charity again. Um, so show up to that and we will we will be drinking beer we'll be talking 49ers football all off the record so it'll be a little a little spicier than what you might expect from from some of these reporters and media types at their day jobs um so join us check that out and subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcasts thanks guys